this is just a book that I couldn't stop listening to. Penelope. I didn't know her full name was Penelope. It's not. <laughs> only, <laughs> only when she's naughty or doing something I don't want her to. <laughs> that <laughs> it's just petty of us i'm upset with her <laughs> so anyway welcome to novel pairings a podcast dedicated to making the classics readable relevant and fun as two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Today, we're sharing our best reads of 2021 so far. Hey, Chelsea. Hi, Sarah. I have to say I am so glad that you brought up doing superlatives again for this episode because it made it so much easier to go through all of the books I've read so far and pick them out because Best Books was way too intimidating for the midpoint of the year for me. Yeah, I Best Books was hard. I am really glad that this idea resurfaced in my mind. I don't know how that happened, but this is what we did at the end of last year. And we both loved it because not only was it easier to come up with our our books, but I feel like it lets me talk about books that might not get mentioned in a best books just because they're they're different or they're a little out of my wheelhouse or I just get a wider variety when we do superlatives. Yeah, it's such a better snapshot of our reading lives and just particularly in a season where, to me, the best book is just one that keeps my attention the whole time and that I can read from start to finish yeah. without totally losing focus. Um, because of that, my my bar is set <laughs> totally differently than it normally would be. And so this is just a much better way to frame things. And I'm really excited to dive in and talk about these with you today. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I tend to really overthink the best stuff and just weigh like, is it, you know, what I think is objectively the best book that I've read or what kept me hooked, like you're saying, which is a rarity right now, to be honest, or something that stuck with me. I just, it it's hard. And so we have a little bit of everything in this episode. And I think that even more readers are going to walk away from today's episode with something new to add to their TBR because we're doing this as superlatives. Okay, Sarah, should we get right into it? Let's do it. What is your best underrated gem? My best underrated gem is Swimming in the Dark by Tomas Zdrowski. And this title might not sound underrated to Novel Pairings listeners. It is a book that I have mentioned on the podcast before. It was a pairing for Giovanni's Room by James Baldwin in that episode. So I think a, a lot of Novel Pairings listeners actually did pick this one up, which I'm so happy about. I learned about it from a pop culture happy hour episode. I love that podcast. Sometimes you need just a good 15-minute podcast, and Ari Shapiro recommended this book. It is so good. It is about two Polish boys who are at a like summer work camp kind of thing. They fall in love. They read Giovanni's room together. Being gay at this time in Poland was not legal. And so they have to, this is 1980s Poland, they have to hide their relationship and then weigh whether it's worth it to pursue considering all of the other things they have going on in their country and in their lives. And it's just, the writing is lovely. It is a couple and just two characters that you will root for, even though you kind of know how the story is going to end. You just still really want the best for these characters. And I thought Jodrowski's writing was just stunning. And it's short. I think 
It is less than 200 pages. And I love a novella in the summertime. I think this would be a great summer read. It's not like a light, frothy beach read, but it has those whiffs of summer nostalgia for sure. So that is Swimming in the Dark by Tomas Jodrowski. Coincidentally, my best underrated gem was appearing in Giovanni's room as well. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I, I don't know what that says about that episode, but... Those books were obviously really memorable for us. So my best underrated gem is Like a Love Story by Abdi Nazemian. And I really, really loved this book. It's a young adult coming of age story. And it's about three teens who live in New York City in 1989 at the height of the AIDS epidemic. And that setting really shapes the story for them. So we have Reza, who is an Iranian boy who just moved to the city. And then we have Art and Judy, who are best friends and have been friends for a really long time. And there's a little bit of a love triangle, but not re- not in the typical love triangle YA sense. It's just really beautifully written. But Riza and Art end up getting close and exploring their relationship and their identity as young gay men. Meanwhile, Judy is really trying to find herself in the world. And all of these kids are really enamored with Judy's uncle, who is dying of AIDS. And so this book is sad and poignant and... There are also just these really triumphant moments, like when they all go to a Madonna concert. And I I loved this slice of history and just thought it was so unlike any other young adult novels that I had read recently. I think that anyone who loved The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay should definitely read Like a Love Story by Abdi Nazemian. I am still really thinking about this book. I remember you mentioning this on that episode, and it definitely caught my attention then. So I'm glad that you are bringing it back up here. It sounds so good. Okay, Sarah, what about best surprise? So my best surprise was like a big, splashy book last year. I was just surprised by how much I loved it. It was Anna Kay by Jenny Lee. And this is a retelling of Anna Karenina. It is set in um, very affluent Manhattan, like think like Gossip Girl type type characters. And I just thought the whole thing was so delightfully smart and clever. Like I don't always want my retellings to feel clever. Like sometimes it feels too much like the author is like winking at you if you've read the classic or trying too hard to make the characters make sense or use funny, clever names. But I just felt like the way Jenny Lee did all of it was was the perfect tone for a retelling. Like you could definitely read this without having read Anna Karenina. I think probably most people that is the case because Anna Karenina is a big book. And pretty boring at times. So not one that I would often recommend to people. Um, But if you do have that, that knowledge or that background information, even if it's just from like watching a movie or something, you will get some of the like cleverness at how she gives her characters different, different backgrounds that really work with the backgrounds of the original Anna Karenina characters. And this was just one that I thought was total escape. And like escapist reads don't always stick with me. But this is one that I find myself just kind of thinking about and smiling about frequently. I have not picked up the sequel because the book ends where Anna Karenina ends. And so the sequel I know is not continuing as a retelling. It's just her own characters. And I'm sure it's great, but I just had such fondness for it as a retelling that I'm less interested in the sequel. But I'd be curious if listeners have read Anna Kay Away, if you would recommend that I continue 
with this series. So Anna Kay by Jenny Lee was my best surprise so far. How about you? My best surprise is a book that we read for the podcast. I was so completely shocked and thrown by how much I enjoyed rereading Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut. I was not expecting to enjoy it as much or more than when I read it in high school. I remembered really liking it in high school, but I had sort of chalked it up to, oh, it was different from a lot of the other stuff that we were reading. I had a good teacher who was handling the book well, but reading it for the podcast was just so much fun. And not just because of our discussion, but because I just really enjoyed the reading experience. I mean, I think I read it in just a couple of sittings, maybe even over the course of one day. And I was just so surprised by how propulsive it was. And by, I mean, how much I learned and what I noticed that was different this time. So that was definitely the best or at least most interesting surprise that I encountered. I love that. It's amazing that a reread can still surprise us. That's so fun. And I I loved how many episodes we kind of did around Slaughterhouse-Five, both for patrons and in the, the main feed, because we're not really big sci-fi readers, you and I, but we kind of got into it for a couple weeks, which was great. That's so true. We did get really into it for a little while. Yeah. We were like, do we like sci-fi yeah. now? <laughs> All right. How about your favorite debut novel that you've read so far this year? Okay. So this comes with a little bit of a caveat because I'm only halfway through it, but I'm really, really enjoying it. And I'm really enjoying the discussions that I've seen around it from friends on Bookstagram. And I know that the ending is wild because that's, it's just well known. So things could totally turn for me, but I have a feeling that it will stand out as a memorable debut. I am halfway through The Other Black Girl by Zakiya Delilah Harris right now. And it's really, really good. It's a really strong debut. And I love that it is so biting and incisive about the publishing world. Mm-hmm. And I just have to wonder what those conversations were like as the editors were taking a look at it and publishing it. Yeah, I I feel exactly the same way. And those were my, I, I liked this book a lot as well. And those were my favorite parts were the indictment of the publishing world and how she how well she depicts that it's it's awesome i i think it's even if you're not typically like a thriller reader suspense reader um it's if you're a reader so that behind the scenes look at the publishing world is worth picking this one up for yeah the the thriller element of it though i have to say i think that's a large part of what is hooking me i'm so invested and unlike so many other mysteries that i've picked up over the last two years i feel like i have no idea where it's going to go which is just a delightfully novel experience for me in this moment so i'm really loving that one oh, and great. i have uh your favorite debut here on audio to read soon. So I'm really excited to hear you talk about it. Well, I listened to it on audio and it's great that way. So my favorite debut so far has been Detransition Baby by Tori Peters. Oh, I just loved this book. It is a queer found family book. It is, I think, in many ways, coming of age story, but a very different one, then we typically get the opportunity to read. It is just fantastic. So we have three main characters in Detransition Baby, Reese, Ames, and Katrina. Reese is a transgender woman who was formerly in a relationship with Amy, who has detransitioned and is now living as Ames, a man. Ames started dating Katrina, who is his boss, and got her pregnant, thinking that he couldn't have kids. And Katrina's decided that she wants to keep the baby. And from there, this like just remarkable story unfolds about three people trying to figure out the best thing to do for themselves, for each other, 
for this potential child coming into the world. And we get to see both them working through all of that and their backstories. And I just, I I think that the writing is great. The way Tori Peters tells the story with multiple timelines really kept me hooked and engaged. I think the characters are really, you know, what, what shines in this novel. You will just really both fall in love with these characters and get really mad at them at various times throughout the book. And I think that's just the sign of really well-developed characters where you get frustrated with them, not because of how the author is writing them or that they don't feel real, but that because you care about them so much and you want to see them making, I don't know if good decisions is is even the right phrase, but you just want to see them doing well and, and thriving and not getting in their own own way. And, you know, you want life to be better for them. And that's really how I felt about all of these characters. It also just really raises some fascinating questions about motherhood, fatherhood, parenthood in general, questions about uh, gender and about gender stereotypes and gendered expectations. And one of the things I just thought was so interesting in this book is kind of a, a not even discussion, but depiction of how gender constructs, while they can be kind of imprisoning for some people, for other people, they crave being part of those gender constructs. And just there's so much in this book to think about and to feel, but it doesn't, it, but it's really just a great story with great characters. So I love Detransition Baby. I think I think a lot of our listeners would would love it as well. Well, I'm even more excited to read it now, and I'm so glad that I downloaded the audiobook. Yeah, the audiobook is fantastic. Oh, good. That's really good to know. And there is some like some kind of graphic sex stuff early in the novel. It does it's not frequent throughout the novel, but I do think sometimes when like a the first or second chapter starts like that, people can wonder like, oh, what am I quite getting into? Mm-hmm. And so I just want to. I, I'm not even saying that as like a content warning or anything. It's nothing like that. But um, just just know going in that the the first chapters might might be like that. Especially if you're listening to the audiobook yeah. around little ears. Yeah. Great point. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sarah. The next superlative on our list is the best book from a beloved author. Well, this probably won't come as a surprise to you or to anyone else, but I loved Clara and the Sun by Kazuo Ishiguro. It did not top my favorites of his, but I loved it so much. And I'm so grateful that we got a new Kazuo Ishiguro book this year. Uh, This book follows Clara, who is an artificial friend. And I loved her as a narrator. I loved being in her very innocent and almost naive, but very wise perspective. It was so original. I love the way Ishiguro develops his dystopias in that they're not, they're not underdeveloped. Like there's clearly like a rich story and a rich society that he is depicting, but because of the perspective he writes through, you're only getting kind of glimpses of it and you have to kind of piece together like what is going on in this world. Some people hate that. I think that that's kind of a a brilliant way to write a dystopia and I really enjoyed that. And I loved that this book really felt like a companion novel to one of my all-time favorite books, Never Let Me Go. It felt like he was asking very similar questions about identity and memory and what we owe to each other in this book, but maybe his answers this time around were a little bit different. And so that was just a really enjoyable reading experience. So if you really love Never Let Me Go, I I can't say that Clara in the Sun like lives up to it necessarily. I think maybe for some readers, for sure it does or even surpasses it, but they're just very much in conversation with each other. So I think you would find Clara and the Sun to be a great reading experience as well. 
My best book from a beloved author is also British, but very different genre. (laughs) (laughs) I loved Act Your Age, Eve Brown by Talia Hibbert. I don't even know if it was my favorite of the Brown sisters books. I think Danny Brown might still be my favorite, but Talia Hibbert is a beloved author and I will pick up anything that she puts out, especially the upcoming Pride and Prejudice retellings that she's working on. I'm so excited for those. And I just love an author that can guarantee you really smart witty writing. So I always know with Hibbert's books that I will laugh and sort of get like those warm, fuzzy feelings because it's a romance. And I just think she's really, truly brilliant author. I think writing humor is really hard and she does it really, really well. So act your age, Eve Brown follows Eve, who is one of the Brown sisters. The sisters are... Black, British, curvy heroines, and each book in that series follows one of them. Eve is the youngest, and she is very uh, stereotypical youngest child, where she just kind of like has been wandering through life. And she's searching for something to do and to prove herself to her parents. And she's very much a sunshine character, where she's... um, pretty happy-go-lucky, free-spirited, and she runs into a grump. Uh, I actually paired this book with Pride and Prejudice in that episode, and I stand by that pairing. I think that it still really works. So Act Your Age, Eve Brown by Talia Hibbert was one of my favorites from a beloved author. I really enjoyed that one, too. It was fun and great. Great setting, too, that little small town. Yeah. Isn't it cute? And so her Pride and Prejudice series that she's writing is set in that same small town, which is really exciting. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, at the end of 2020, we had on our superlatives list our most comforting read during the pandemic. And even though things have changed a lot, we are still in the midst of a pandemic, especially early this year, it still felt very, very present. And I think maybe we'll start to feel more present again. I hope not, but we'll see. So all of that being said, what has been your most comforting read so far this year? I wish that I had looked at what I picked for that uh, at the end of the year last year, because I'm, I don't know if this is cheating or if it's brilliant, but Writers and Lovers by Lily King is a book that I read at the very end of 2020, and it was one of my favorite books of that year. And then a few months later, in the spring of 2021, I read it again. I reread it. I listened to the audiobook, and I loved it just as much, if not more. And so that is what I'm going to choose for a comforting read for a pandemic year, because A, I rarely reread a book. And the fact that this one really stands out as still being a favorite is huge. And B, I just think it spoke to me because of where I was in the midst of the pandemic and just the subsequent years that we've had. Something about this book really feels comforting and cozy to me. It is about a writer, um, but it is also about grief and relationships and finding yourself. It's got this really triumphant ending, which I love. And yet it doesn't feel, the ending doesn't feel out of place. It feels really earned in the book. So I still love it. And I love Lily King's writing. I'm looking forward to reading more of her work this year. Maybe those books will show up in our end of year superlatives episode, but Writers and Lovers by Lily King is my comfort read for pandemic years. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Mine is Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First by Laura Tremaine. And I I picked this book up because I like Laura. Like she and I (laughs) chat on Instagram and I got to go on her podcast, 10 Things to Tell You. And wasn't even necessarily expecting to really like fall in love with the book so much as like I just like Laura's voice and 
learning more about her was was really enjoyable. This is a a memoir, um, but it's so much more, and it was just so perfect for the time that it came out and when I read it because it came out in February. And this book really is about how to better connect with our friends and about being vulnerable and sharing your stories and asking good questions of your friends and the people in your life so they can share their stories and kind of have that opportunity. And after a year of not necessarily like no socializing, because I I think through, you know, through technology, I think probably a lot of us ended up socializing and reaching out to friends who maybe we hadn't been as in touch with before, even as we weren't seeing people in person as much. It's just a strange year for connection and isolation. And this book, I think, was a really great guide into the world opening up a little bit more and getting to be with people again and how it made me think about how I want to deepen the friendships that matter most to me. And so that was both comforting and challenging, but in the very best way. And Laura really like holds your hand through that. And like the title suggests, she she shares um, a lot of herself in this book in a way that's very encouraging to help her readers open up. So it's framed around kind of 10 questions that you can use both to to think more deeply about your own story and to pose to to friends in a way that allows them to share their story. So it's a really lovely read. It is Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First by Laura Tremaine. I really like Laura too, and I haven't read that yet, but it's definitely on my list. Yeah, it's it's really sweet. And you can just, I mean, you can binge it. It's very quick, but it's also a good one to kind of just read one chapter at a time. It works well that way. So I assume that her audiobook is probably pretty good because she's a podcaster and she recorded her own audiobook. But we're going to share our best audiobooks so far this year in our next superlatives category. So Sarah, what has been one of your favorite listening experiences? This might have been the most difficult category because I mean, a lot of the books I've already talked about, I did read on audio and I loved them. But I think one of the best because I did it on audiobook was One, Two, Three by Laurie Frankel. Did you read this one? I did. I ended up listening to it as well. And I thought the narration was great. Yes. The narration is great. This book is really like, it's the characters who make it and the three audiobook narrators who voice each of the Mitchell triplets are also good at bringing their particular triplet to life in a way that really made me fall in love with these characters and maybe I would have on the page too, but I I know that listening to this on audio really enhanced that experience for me. So this is a book about triplets. They live in a small town called Bourne that has had a, a 17 years ago. There was an accident. We kind of uncover what that accident was as the book goes on, but the accident has left many people in town disabled, and including our protagonists, or some of our protagonists, the a couple of the Mitchell triplets. And one thing that I thought was really interesting, and I think as a non-Own Voices reviewer, well done in this book, was how it depicted a, a place, a society, that really valued disability and worked to change itself for the needs of its community rather than insisting that disabled people change themselves, quote unquote, heal themselves to to fit better into the society. And that was, I think, something I kind of had in mind because I also had read Disability Visibility this year and disfigured. And so I'd read some nonfiction that kind of talked about the way 
society expects disabled people to change and adapt to fit what society wants. And so I, I just, I was like tuned into that in a way I maybe wouldn't have been without that nonfiction reading. And I thought Lori Frankel, again, from my non-owned voices perspective, did a really great job of depicting that. But of course, it's the sisters that really make this book sing. And that's why it works so well on audio. And I think that if you listen to this on audio, these are characters you'll be thinking about for a while. So that's One, Two, Three by Lori Frankel. One of my favorite audiobooks so far this year was Good Company by Cynthia Dupree Sweeney. And I don't know if I can really even explain why it was so good on audio specifically, because I've listened to a ton of audiobooks, and I think there are other performances that stand out more narration-wise, but but this was an audiobook that I just kept finding things to do so I could keep listening. Like, I don't love doing the dishes, but I probably cleaned the kitchen so I could just keep listening to my audiobook or took Penny for some extra walks. I just remember listening to it really quickly and loving it. So Good Company is about a couple of friends. It's, well, it's a set of couples, really. Um, One of these couples is, it's an actress and a surgeon. And then the other two are both actors and they have a daughter And they all sort of meet and get together in New York City around the theater. But now, present day, they all live in L.A. and have various on-screen acting gigs. And so told in sort of a series of flashbacks and reflections, we get to see how they met and came together what sort of tensions have arisen in their relationships over the years and how they got to where they are today. Not a ton happens, but I was so invested in the characters' lives and I just really, really loved this book. It might be one of my favorite books of the year, in fact, but it's one of those sort of more introspective, character-driven stories that with the right narrator, I love on audiobook. So Good Company by Cynthia Dupree Sweeney was one of my favorite listens. And I still want to pick that one up. And I think I will definitely do it on audio now that you've brought it up here. We both, I think, have read quite a bit of nonfiction this year. I don't know if that was intentional for you, Chelsea, or if you just found yourself finding nonfiction books that were speaking to you in in the moment. But I am wondering what your best nonfiction so far has been. So far, my best has been Wintering by Catherine May, which I think that you've read too. Yeah, I really liked it. I listened to Wintering on audio as I was walking through the snow, like on a wooded path. It was perfection, the perfect listening experience. I actually think it started to snow during the chapter that she was talking about snow. And so, I mean, that's got to be part of it is just the experience that I had reading it. But I just really loved her writing style. I loved what she was talking about sort of leaning into the winter seasons of life, not just literally like when there's snow on the ground, but when we have a darker season or we have a season that we need to be more internalized. And so I can really see myself reading this again. And because it's so beautifully written and I really liked, I liked listening to her, but I think just some of the sentiments I would love to highlight and have written down. I think I'll end up rereading this on paper. So Wintering by Catherine May, I think it's a great read any time of year because like I said, your winter season might be right now if it is summer where you live and it might seem really awful to have this like bright sunny weather and you feel like you can't enjoy it because maybe you are grieving or you're going through a depression or something is keeping you in a darker season. Catherine May's words will be really, really comforting to you. And I think that her her insights are just fascinating. She does combine some research 
with her own personal stories. And I, I just loved the style. I really liked the content. So, so far, that's the best nonfiction that I've read. I think that book is fantastic. And it was a pairing for my Antonia. And I, I think it just, yeah, like you said, the title makes you think you could only pick it up in, in winter, but it really is a beautiful read at any time of the year. And I just love how it talks about seasons of life and, and it's, it's gorgeous. My best nonfiction of the year so far, I've, I've really enjoyed all of the nonfiction that I have read, maybe because I am quicker to abandon a nonfiction book if it's not working for me. But I read How to Slowly Kill Yourself and Others in America by Kia Say Lehman. And this one came out in 2013, but then it was reissued when his book Heavy kind of made it a bigger splash. And so I I picked it up and I just I loved it. I mean, his writing is just phenomenal and really I, I think he's one of like the master writers of of our day. And so I will read anything he he writes. This is a collection of essays with definitely a lot of memoir woven in, but it is much less of a memoir than Heavy, his more more recent book. He writes essays about family and race and violence, but even also things about like music and uh, celebrities. And there is a lot in here about writing, which if you read Heavy, you'll, you'll know that the way he writes about writing is just really powerful and, and lovely. And he has a fascinating view of, of language as well and, and the importance of language. All of that comes up in in this collection as well, and it's really brief. It's less than 150 pages. Most of the essays themselves are are pretty short, so they're great, like read one a day sort of sort of pieces. And I think one thing I liked best about this book is he clearly has the idea for his memoir heavy in mind as he's writing these essays. And so, and he talks about it. He talks about interviewing his his mom and his grandma for his memoir that he's also working on. And so you get to see a lot of behind the scenes glimpses of how heavy came into being by reading this essay collection. And that was just such a treat. Like it was it just felt like such a gift for this amazing writer to be giving us that behind the scenes glimpse and showing us more of his process and the the real challenge of writing memoir and how he, how he faced that challenge. So that is how to slowly kill yourself and others in America by Kiese Lehman. So Sarah, we saved a couple of superlatives for classics club on Patreon. And actually we just shared a handful with them today, right before we started recording this But I think we could probably pick a couple to share with everyone here. And one category that I think will be really fun to talk about is our biggest disappointment so far this year. What is yours? Mine is, it was such a disappointment, but that's okay. It was Ariadne by Jennifer Saint. And I love a Greek myth retelling as many of our listeners know. And of course, Ariadne was compared to books that I loved, like Circe by Madeline Miller and A Thousand Ships by Natalie Haynes. Um, And so I was really excited to pick this one up. I think that the Ariadne myth is one of the most interesting stories in Greek mythology. She was the princess who helped Theseus uh, kill, slay the Minotaur even though the Minotaur was her brother. And that that story is just really compelling to me. And I was surprised by the pacing of this book. That mythological story takes place in like the first quarter of the book. And then it follows the characters 
beyond that, still keeping in in tune with Greek myth, but very much more exploring different characters and different kind of plot points of more of Saint's invention. And all of that is fine. I think you don't have to be super faithful to your uh, your source text, in my opinion, to write a fantastic retelling. What didn't work for me with this book was I just didn't get the point. Like, I, I feel like myth retellings are maybe becoming, because of the success of Madeline Miller, something that authors are are just trying and and publishers are putting a lot of push behind and maybe this isn't fair but to me it felt like the point of the story was just what would this story look like from Ariadne's perspective and that's a fine place to start but I wanted more like I wanted her to be saying something about gender or family and I just didn't get a real richness from the book in that sense. And so I I know we really don't talk that much about books we don't like, and I feel bad, <laughs> but there are <laughs> other, um, other readers who love myth retellings who this one did work for. I am thinking particularly of Catherine from the blog Gilmore Guide to Books. She really loved Ariadne, and she, like me, loves myth retellings in general. And so Maybe it was my headspace. Maybe, you know, it's just my own expectations. But I was disappointed by Ariadne. I feel like often it's our own expectations that let us down. I mean, that's there are like a million quotes about that, right? Yes. (laughs) So (laughs) it makes sense. And I also, biggest disappointment makes it sound like, oh my goodness, I hated this book. But I finished finished the book. Yeah. Yeah. I read it and I I would also read another Jennifer Saint book. Uh, I thought that the writing was good. I thought that she has like an interesting perspective on Greek myth. I would, I would read another of her retellings or something else that she writes. But yeah, this one just kind of fell flat for me. So yeah. How about you? What was your biggest disappointment? Similarly, this isn't a book that I hated and I don't, I don't really have anything bad to say about it. I just felt pretty ambivalent after reading it and during reading it. (laughs) I did not love Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid, but I didn't love The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo either. I did not understand what everyone was all freaked out about with that book. I still don't because I just did not think that it captured old Hollywood mm. in the way that in the way that I wanted it captured. Um, I thought that, you know, it, it was fine. Again, I read it. I really liked Daisy Jones and the Six. But Malibu Rising, I just, I don't know if it was that I... I had more of an expectation that the party would be <laughs> fun, bigger, <laughs> yeah, or a, a bigger part of the novel, uh-huh. and that it really would be like a tight book that was all this party, but it wasn't. And I I liked a lot of the characters, and again, like I I read the whole thing. I liked it. It was okay. But the stakes didn't feel all that high or it didn't, there wasn't like enough, there wasn't enough drama for me, which sounds funny because I think it's being pitched as like the dramatic beachy read of the season, but I just didn't think it was that dramatic. Yeah, I agree. I didn't think it was super dramatic or super glitzy or a lot of the like modifiers that were put on the back cover copy of that book just didn't ring true to me. I think I I read this one and I enjoyed the reading experience because of how fast it was. And I think that whether this is Taylor Jenkins Reid or her editor or them as a team, one thing her books do really well is keep you turning pages. And she just, she always, or she often structures her books in an interesting way that leaves you with cliffhangers or that leads, leaves you wanting to get back to a particular perspective or a particular timeline. And that is a great recipe for a page turner. And so I I give her like full credit for that while also agreeing that like it just didn't, it didn't captivate 
me because of the story or the characters. I could tell that the reason I was continuing to read was the way she had paced the book, which is a skill and and she's really good at it. I totally agree. And I mean, I think that's a big part of why I loved Daisy Jones and the Six, but I also loved that it was a totally different structure and there was something so new about Mm -hmm. it. So Malibu Rising, it just felt like, I don't know if she's really doing anything different here, which she doesn't have to. that's, That's my expectation that I'm placing on her. I have not read, so I've only read those three books. I haven't read any of her older books to compare. Um, I don't know if I will because I've I've only really loved one out of the three that I've read. Mm-hmm. But I do think she's a talented writer and there's a reason why her books are so popular. I just thought Malibu Rising was okay. Yeah. I I agree. All right. Well, in a completely different vein, what is a book, Chelsea, that is coming out later this year, or maybe it's come out and you just haven't gotten to it yet, that you are most excited to read going forward? I'm so excited that Gabrielle Union is coming out with another collection of memoir in essays. She calls them stories. And it's called You Got Anything Stronger. And I'm really excited to read it. I loved her first collection, It was, we're going to need more wine. I think I paired it with, maybe their eyes were watching God. I think so. I really, really loved that listening experience. She reads the audiobook. It's fantastic. I think that she's a great storyteller. Her life is quite fascinating. And so that was sort of like her coming of age stories. So she had some stories from when she was a kid into like her early fame. And then I think this next one, You Got Anything Stronger, is about like her journey into motherhood, her relationship with Dwayne Wade, like the place that she's at now. And I'm really excited to read it and sort of follow up because I liked her first book so much. I'm not like a huge celebrity memoir person, but I love when they are well-written and particularly when you know it's not like it's coming from that celebrity, not a ghostwriter. And I don't know, she could have a lot of help. I don't know, but I get the impression that this really is from her. And particularly listening to the audiobooks, she just has a really inviting, warm voice. And I loved the way that she invited me into her stories. So I'm really excited to read You Got Anything Stronger by Gabrielle Union. What about you, Sarah? I am super excited to read Matrix by Lauren Groff. I haven't read all of Lauren Groff. I look forward to reading more of her backlist, but I'm one of those people who really loved Fates and Furies. I know it's a divisive book. And in particular, I loved her short story collection, Florida, which I think I credit for getting me into short stories in the first place. I love her writing. And Matrix is historical fiction. It is about Marie de France, who is kicked out of the French royal court by Eleanor of Aquitaine and goes to England and lives as a a nun in this convent. That's all I really know about it. But Lauren Groff writing historical fiction set at a convent sounds fascinating to me. I am really curious to see what she does with that. And yeah, I I do have a uh digital advanced copy of it on on NetGalley. So I I do want to read it soon, but I know with Lauren Groff like I need to pay attention. I need to be in the right headspace. So I'm also looking forward to when I feel like I'm in the right headspace to read it. It's out September 7th, and I'm really going to try to read it before then, but we'll see. But I, I I can't wait to see what she does with that premise. That sounds fascinating, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that we will touch base about it on the podcast at some point. Absolutely. We have more superlatives over on Patreon. We have a post over there with links, and I think we have like four more 
that you didn't hear in this episode today. So if you're curious about those, you can find them at patreon.com slash novel pairings. And we would love it if you stuck around to join our classics club over on Patreon. We teach live classes. We record them just in case you can't make it live. We have bonus episodes almost every single Friday and we have sometimes like little behind the scenes peaks or polls. We have a book club and it's been so much fun and we've really been enjoying the community of readers we have over there. So we would love to see you at patreon.com slash novel pairings as a part of Classics Club with us. Another way to be really plugged in to what we're doing at Novel Pairings is to subscribe to our newsletter. That is at novelpairings.substack.com. We send that out every Tuesday along with our episode. So you get extra links that are related to the book that we're talking about or to the topic that we're discussing and just general news about what is happening over in Novel Pairings land. We really want to know about your favorite books of the year so far, particularly for some of the superlative categories we shared today. So if you share any of that on Instagram, be sure to tag us at Novel Pairings Pod. We also love to see when and where you're listening, so share in your Instagram stories. You can also help us out by continuing to spread the word about Novel Pairings You can let your friends know that you're listening, send a link to your favorite episode to a bookish buddy, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts, which truly makes a huge difference for us in helping new listeners find us. Thank you to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. Next week, we'll be back with an episode discussing A Streetcar Named Desire by Tennessee Williams. Until then, we declare after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything.